I'm excited to be here with you this evening. It's always a pleasure and an honor. Uh, we are talking about renewing our mission uh, tonight, a daunting uh, and exciting and challenging topic. I want to begin uh, the conversation tonight uh, with the last words of Jesus on this earth. We talk about renewing our mission both as individuals and as a church. I think the story pretty much starts and ends there. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, we've been on a journey this summer. Well, on a journey in this series of lessons about renewing our strength. But we've all been on some different journeys. I've done a little bit of travel this summer, too. That's been pretty fun. Uh, and tonight, I think it would be good if we could sit back just a second and have somewhat of a story time. We're going to share some stories, but maybe not in the way that we're accustomed to. Today, I feel like is a pivotal aspect of this idea of mission that we're seeking to renew and pursue in the forward vision here uh, at McDermott. So perhaps some of you have wondered, uh, because the terms discipleship, discipling, uh, mission and vision have become uh, used frequently or more frequently, I think, probably in the last five, seven, ten years. And you might wonder, you know, what's the big deal about mission? Uh, why are we talking about this again, Marcus? The last time you were up here, you talked about personal mission and, and your personal talents and what God wants to do through you when he meets you. And now you're here to talk about mission again. And I'll just confess to you, to be totally transparent, when I grew up in church. We didn't spend very much time talking about mission and vision at all. It was kind of a foreign concept. You just kind of came to church, and you did your thing, and you took communion, and you hoped that no one saw you on the way out so that you could make it to wherever you were trying to eat before the other churches left out so that you could get a table. And that was pretty much it. Like, we had a good time. We did our thing. And I don't know if it's still like that. I mean, there are really so many places to eat around here. I'm sure you can find something. But the church crowd, that's a reality. But for us, life was good, and that was it. We just kind of came to church, and that served as the mission or the idea of what we were supposed to be doing on this planet, living a good life, being good people, and coming to church. Now, hold that thought, because some of you have even expressed to me an excitement about a kind of different focus and trajectory that we're taking and some things that we're starting to reexamine and looking at things differently and, and wondering and exploring if that really is what we're supposed to be about and that is the be-all, end-all for what we're supposed to be doing as a church. We've been drifting, but the past year and a half for as many challenges as it presented gave us a lot of time to look, to think, some introspection, to re-examine what we're doing here and to start to reconsider the who and the what and the why we are as disciples. And I think we've been challenged. I think we've been encouraged in some ways. Um, and we've thought about some things that maybe we haven't thought about in a long time. Maybe we're going to think about some things tonight that we haven't thought about in a long time. So we're going to continue to drive at those immovable truths, the things that brought us all here tonight and bring us here every weekend and keep us together as a family, that loving God and loving people is, is at the heart of our calling and our identity. But we got to lean into this idea of mission and vision and serving one another and those around us. I hope we can do that from a spirit of gratitude, not one of, of fear or pride, one of, one of joy, actually. But I hope that tonight, what I'm going to talk about for just a few minutes, 
will cause you to have one of those introspective moments and cause us collectively to think about this a little bit and maybe a way that we don't do often enough. I want to talk about renewing our mission through the lens of sharing the story of Jesus. I want to talk about renewing the mission uh, through sharing his story. We have a goal, we have a mission, we have a God-given commission that we just read a few minutes ago that unites us and is our calling to the world. We have to be serious about why we do it. And as Christians, we share Jesus, but in order to do so, and more specifically to do that effectively, we got to be honest about the story of us. So if the scriptural command is not enough for us to consider that we need to be a little bit more involved in moving the story of the gospel, the reality of the gospel out into the world around us in an effective way, I just want us to think before we get too deep tonight, is there any other aspect of your life that you genuinely love, that is genuinely a blessing to you, that you find difficult to share with people around you? Is there any other thing that you find exceptional, amazing, whether it's a great steak or the best place to go on Sunday after service? Yeah, Aaron's with me on that, man, yeah. I don't have trouble sharing that with people, Aaron. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I never have to stop and think, like, is this going to be weird if I tell him where to get the best steak? And t- no, it's not going to be weird. I'm not going to ruin a, ruin a relationship. It's not going to be awkward after that. But for some reason, when we start to talk about this idea of pursuing mission, renewing mission, and that mission being connected to Jesus' statement that we're supposed to be going and making disciples, sharing his story with the world around us effectively, then it gets uncomfortable. And you're looking at me like, now, if this is the kind of story that you're going to talk about, Marcus, I don't really know if I want that. I chose to come here in the middle of the week. I would like to have something that doesn't make me feel filled with anxiety, like talking to people at work or talking to family members that I always argue with or doing things that make me feel really uncomfortable generally. But I really think we have to take a moment and think about this tonight because when I say sharing the story, especially through the lens of renewing our mission, how do you think we go about that? I mean, what's the first thing that pops in your mind when I say, hey, we have to be intentional about actually doing what Jesus has called us to do and asked us to do? Like, if we're serious about making Jesus' last words our first priority, then how are we actually going to do that? What's the first thing that pops into your mind when you say, okay, I need to be serious about this disciple thing. I need to get the gospel to somebody. What am I going to do? Chances are you think, well, maybe they should have been here in this room tonight. Maybe I could invite them to come on Sunday. Maybe I could be better about inviting some people to church. Not a bad thought, but I want to get this out of the way early. If you're not tracking with me or paying attention, there's going to be for a few minutes tonight some moments where it's going to sound like I'm saying we should stop inviting people to church. So just before I get misquoted and thrown out and fired after a really, really brief tenure here at McDermott Road, I just want to let you know that's not what I'm suggesting tonight. I'm not suggesting we should no longer invite people to church, but I need to be clear. What I am saying, though, is that the idea that we can renew our mission, that we can be effective disciples, the idea that we can fulfill our obligation to the gospel message by simply inviting people to church when we kind of feel comfortable with them is actually not true. The idea that we can love God, that we can love our neighbor, that we can truly make disciples, that we could renew our mission, in essence, what we're talking about, that we could recover our strength by simply inviting people to church is the result of a very unique and a very privileged and actually no longer the case period of time in our country. Here's what I mean. 
Let's lean into this a little bit. I'm not making an unfounded claim for you here tonight. Let's, I hope this doesn't peel your eyelids back too far, but maybe just a little bit. This is not for dramatic effect, okay? In 1965, numbers nationwide showed that 73% of Americans went to church somewhere. 73%. That number trailed downwards into the 80s and in the 90s where a steep fall-off began. We're well aware of this. We talk about this all the time. But as of 2019, that 73% was down to 50%. And now is even lower. Uh, the numbers aren't really all back and collected from what is going to happen after this COVID and this pandemic. But if the numbers that we do have are to be believed, a lot of churches are experiencing a lot of atrophy right now. So those numbers are going to look even more stark by comparison. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper. Because it's one thing to claim that you're part of a specific religion or church or, or faith family, but to actually be an active part of a community, to actually, you know, draw near instead of just attending, that's a different thing. Going by numbers and reports from mainline denominations and even Catholic churches included, the percentage of Americans who regularly attend church services as of 2019 was 23%. 23% of Americans, that's down from 73. That's a 50% drop over a period of about 35 years. 23%, and the metric that they used, three, less than 50%. Now, if you grew up in the church, I don't know anybody whose grandma was pleased by three out of every eight Sundays being your church attendance. Nobody got a gold star on the board. Nobody got a little Bible plaque for reciting. the. You, did, you couldn't even learn the New Testament in three out of every eight Sundays. But that's what the metric actually is. So these numbers are even inflated by how many people are committed to being in a house of worship on a weekly basis. Churches of Christ, as we know and is well documented in our, in, our, in our family, are experiencing some of the most drastic downtrends where it's been reported that up to two churches of Christ are closing their doors every single week. We're a little bit insulated from that here in this region where things are growing and Churches are being planted and people are moving to the area, but across the country, that's not the case, not at all. So today, uh, we look at those numbers and we see projections that say, hey man, CFCs might not even exist, it's currently constituted by 2050. And I say, let's dig into not the dynamics or the reasons why that's happening. We have plenty of time to do that, and that's not what this time tonight is for. But let's focus on one aspect, this aspect of that mission that we've been talking about that I think has just been illuminated by the decline. I think things get illuminated that we assume are new. There are lots of struggles and pressures and anxieties that we're dealing with now as a faith family that just got illuminated or revealed by the pandemic when it came and agitated everybody and got us all bottled up and upset about things. Well, there are some things about our method and the way that we decided to share the story to have a mission in Christ that didn't get illuminated until most people weren't going to church anymore. And that means it got to hide for a long time, and we thought it was okay for a long time, and now we're going to have to deal with that if we ever hope to renew that mission and renew that strength that we're talking about. In 1960 or 70, most people in this country, even in 1980 still, were members of a church somewhere. And what's even more wild is they attended regularly. That is a cultural phenomenon, and I say phenomenon because in the whole of history, if you pan back and look at it, that's actually really unique. Like if you pan back from 33 AD, the time when the church was planted, until 2021 where we sit now, the period of time in which most people in a given cultural societal context were faithfully attending with a body in community and doing church together, making disciples together, is really, 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 really small. 
We're talking about a sliver of years where millions of people in a society were all committed to going to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It just has not existed at any other period of time since the foundation of this world. Now, when 70% of people are in church on a Sunday, it means you can get away with spending most of your time being devoted to teaching where all the other churches are wrong and you should come to ours, and making your main mode of evangelism, hey, just come to church with me, because it's a foregone conclusion that they're going somewhere. When that is the case, the fact that that doesn't really match up with the mission that we're called to live in Christ doesn't really get put on display because the numbers look really good and there are lots of baptisms and people are outside at tent rallies and there are bus ministries and there's this great thing called Sunday school. We're not sure about it, but it seems to be doing really good and vacation Bible schools are packed and people are getting baptized and like crazy things are happening. But I say get away with because neither of those things, specifically just, hey, come to church with me, are exactly what the scripture says we're supposed to be up to. And as time has passed and our society has moved further and further away from that 70th percentile, it has revealed that those obsessions that we had, which were fit for the time, are actually incredible weaknesses that we have in the area of actually sharing the gospel with somebody of actually talking to somebody about Jesus, in some ways actually discipling people, and through those, having any sort of mission. And this is why we need that kind of renewal. You see, as the world has moved further and further away from church goingship, we specifically have moved further and further away from having a message that relates to them. Because somewhere along the line, we traded the actual mission that we have for advertisements in bank vacuum tubes and an invitation to someone who you're kind of comfortable with at your family barbecue. Now, since less than 25% of people are attending regularly anywhere, the strategy for evangelism and walking out the mission and sharing the gospel, the strategy of church invitations and doctrinal corrections are so ineffective that many of us have given up altogether. What do we do? Well, I'm going to say we're not really a creedal group, but if we had a creed ever that we're all okay with, it's this. Back to the Bible? Anyone? I love this concept. This is where the answer is found in my view. Here's the really wild thing. It might seem doom and gloom with all of those numbers and statistics and that perspective put on top of this, but I think it's the, the opposite, actually. Really, I do. Because as you scan through the New Testament, if we study the church that we're trying to be like in all ways, there's one thing that I ever don't really find, and it kind of blows my mind. I don't find an example in the New Testament of a Christian going to someone else and saying, hey, come with me to church. I don't find that. I read and I reread and I go through the conversion accounts back and forth, I just don't see that any more in there than I do something like a sinner's prayer. But what I do find in the pages of God's word is people inviting people to meet Jesus. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot, especially before the crucifixion, after the resurrection. I see people being invited into community a lot. 
Since forever, I've heard us asking this familiar question, why don't people invite people to church anymore? Also, why don't people come when I do invite them? But I believe our current circumstances and the reality that our main mode of evangelism traditionally isn't even found in here means we should probably start asking another question. If we're serious about renewing the mission, we should actually start asking the question that we say that all of our practice and all of what we do in the churches of Christ is built on, and that's this question, what actually were they doing in the New Testament? What was the New Testament church doing that provided such a counterculture that caused so much explosive growth? What were the conversations that we're having with people? What were they saying to these people? How in the world did they subvert the entire Greek and Roman pantheon in a period of 150 years to the point where no one even believed Jupiter ever existed in reality after that? What were these people doing? And I can't get someone to come to a life group and I can't get someone to come and drink lemonade with me at my church cookout. What was the New Testament church actually doing. When we look at the apostles and the disciples and what they did in the New Testament, it actually gets exciting when you see that mission, that mission that we need to be renewed to. But I'm going to tell you, the warning is it actually gets uncomfortable too. It's exciting, but it's uncomfortable. When we look at the apostles and the disciples in the New Testament, we find them being in a business that we've long forgotten, the business of telling the story of Jesus by first knowing and relating to their audience, speaking to that audience's story, and then weaving their own story, that's the uncomfortable part, their own story, and telling the story of that collision point with Jesus at the same time. That's all they did. Peter does this in Acts chapter 2. If you read Acts chapter 2 through 4, you're going to see Peter telling the immediate history of the Jews and the crucifixion of Jesus, and he speaks exactly to what those people are living. None of the things that he's talking about were done in a quarter, as Paul would say later. They know exactly what he's speaking about. How many times have you engaged in a religious conversation with someone and you felt as if you were an alien from another planet and it could have been that you were just speaking a totally different language altogether? Because as soon as you start to bring up faith, their eyes glaze over and they're immediately looking for an exit out of the conversation. Well, this just got awkward. I just wanted to talk about how they shouldn't be limited Dak Prescott's reps because he sat out the whole season and either he's good to go or he's not good to go. We pay him too much money. Now he's inviting me to church. This is not the conversation I signed up for. How many times have you been in a situation like that? Stephen does the same thing in Acts chapter 7, except he gives a comprehensive history of the Jewish people. He connects it to everything that they identify themselves by, every fiber of their being, and he relates that to his own experience. Even as they are killing him, he's talking to Jesus. And then Paul in Acts 13, 17, 22, and 26 does all. He gives his immediate personal history every single time, but he frequently will change the message according to who he's talking to. If he's talking to Jews, he's talking about their Jewish history and he's connecting to them and their identity. But if he's at the Areopagus talking to Greeks, he doesn't preach from the prophets in the Old Testament because they could care less. He's connecting with them somewhere else. I just have a question as we seek to renew our mission, if we seek to renew our strength, do we share the story of Jesus anymore? I mean, do we really? Do you share the story anymore? I mean, we get pretty good at spitting Bible verses at people, but do you really tell the story of Jesus? Have you told the story of Jesus and your story together? And what that did? If someone was to ask you on the street, what does God mean to you, what would you say? Would you give a generic everything? It's true, but is that going to move them? Is that going to cause them to stop and think, to ponder, to question? Who is Jesus? Where would you be without God? How would you answer that question? 
Can you tell the story of Jesus in a meaningful way, a way that is relevant to someone who doesn't know it all without feeling like your best bet is just to get them to church so Wes can holler at them for a while? Because Wes is really good. He is. That's why I said, like, yeah, please invite him to church. But like, hey, we might have to do some stuff before we get there. Like, we might have to show them something and have some conversations before they say, yes, I'm willing to have Wes tell me that everything I thought about Jeremiah 29:11 is not true. I'm willing. Can we share the gospel in a meaningful way to others, or can we merely recite the steps that we take in response to the gospel? Is that what you're looking for when you're having a conversation with somebody? None of those are wrong. That's all true. But that's not the mission. Before we get too far down this rabbit hole, I know what you're thinking. Probably a little shocked at how this has gone. Despite my warning earlier, you're probably a little worried that, no, I know he said he thinks we should invite people to church, but it really doesn't sound like it right now. I don't know what to believe right now. You might be thinking that. You might be a little uncomfortable with the burden or the thought of the burden of talking about Jesus with someone and that that might actually be yours as the priesthood of all believers, as a disciple to actually carry. And I would just remind you, what is the last truly great thing in your life that you felt was a burden to share with somebody? Not one thing. That ought to give us pause. You might also be thinking, hey, he's got a point, but it's absolutely terrifying. Fair. It is. We've done things a specific way for specific reasons that we feel comfortable about for a very, very long time. Certainly, he isn't suggesting that me, I, person of brokenness and insecurity, the person that I know in the mirror, have to go talk to somebody right now. Like, certainly, he's not suggesting that I should have to even think about speaking to someone. And I see some furled eyebrows, and I can, hold on, everybody, can you feel that? That's anxiety. It just, your palms get clammy. Start thinking about talking to somebody in a way that might change their perception of you. I want to say yes. I am all for us inviting people to church, but I want us so much more to return to that priesthood of all believers and make it part of our daily lives that we invite people to Jesus by the way we live and that we can be renewed in the mission, that we understand that our calling goes way beyond just inviting someone to church and that if we're actually walking in that calling and renewed mission, inviting someone to church actually just becomes part of the overflow of that. It will happen. It doesn't go away. It's natural because when you show somebody a life that is attractive not promotional, but attractive, they've got to figure out what is going on. And when they see that you're part of a community that empowers you to do that, they're going to want to see what it's about. They're going to want to be a part of it. So it's true. We're not very good at this church wide right now. And I want to encourage you with the few minutes that I have remaining tonight, because here's the truth. We're not good at sharing of this story, but it might not be for any of the reasons that you think we're not good at sharing the story. You might think that you're not able to share the story and walk in this kind of mission because you don't know enough. You might think that you can't do it because you don't have an academic background in the Bible. You might think that you're not fit to share the story or be renewed in this mission because you can't speak well or don't have experience in teaching. And how many times do you have to read the account of Moses before you realize God's not letting you off the hook for that? You might think that you're not good enough that somehow your shortcomings make you not qualified or worthy of sharing the story, and all of those are incorrect. The only reasons why you haven't been able to share the story of Jesus effectively up to this point so far are as follows. Number one, our cultural framework has dictated that you grew up in a world where 73% of people went to church and you didn't have to. 
Our spiritual framework dictated that you grew up in a world where you didn't feel qualified to. And our church framework at the local level dictated that you grew up in a world where nobody equipped or encouraged or empowered you to do so. The reason why, as we've been leaning into tonight, the reason why we have to be renewed in our mission and the reason why we have to be serious about sharing this story is more than just a commission. It's a charge. If you remember, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says that he, being Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, that's not me, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, that's us, in verse 12, to do the equipping of the saints for the work of what? Ministry. It says Jesus actually has decided through the foolishness of preaching and teaching and shepherding that that is how he is equipping his people to go and do the really uncomfortable things that we've been talking about doing tonight. You see, this is a glaring weakness, this focus on being able to share the story. Making it our mission to share the story is the job and role of shepherds, teachers, evangelists, and those who are older and wiser and more experienced in the faith alike. Part of the job and role of the church is to equip those of her number for the work of ministry daily. And I don't think the equipping of the ministry can be stopped short at, hey, make sure you invite a friend this Sunday. That's good. That's welcome. We should. But is that what Paul's talking about there? It's actually our job to make sure that not only that the story of Jesus goes forth from this podium and this stage, but that each and every one of us is equipped to tell the story of Jesus out there, both through the way we live and how we talk and how we move and how we breathe, and we haven't done that. We've been more fearful than bold, and here's what I know. We can get puffed up and we can get excited and we can be, uh, you know, motivated and we can be inspired about what we want to do and what we know God will do at McDermott Road. But I'm going to promise you this. If there's anything I know about human nature, it's that you will never, ever, ever share anything with another person that you're not absolutely confident in. The reason why you share your favorite restaurant is because you're confident people will get good food there. But if you are sitting there today and you're saying, man, I am not even sure of my own salvation, do you think for a second you're going to be able to talk to Peggy at the K-cup machine with her frown about Jesus tomorrow? No! You're not bringing that out. You're going to bring something else out. Like, man, I wish they would bring that Italian roast back. A long time. We're letting stuff slip around here. Okay, Peggy's going to go back to complaining with you. There's no Peggy's in here, is there? Like Peggy's, I don't know any Peggy's that are generally disagreeable. It's just a name I pulled out of a hat. So please, don't take offense. (laughs) If we're going to renew our mission, we got to be, one, secure in our own salvation. Two, secure in the reality that we are worthwhile to share. And three, be confident in what Christ did, not in what we've done. That makes it much easier to think about having a conversation with someone when it's not based on your own merit and me being good enough and me being qualified and me being smart enough. Then I can have a genuine open conversation with someone about something that matters. So we have just a few moments left. and I'm going to leave you with this because I think it would be really, really messed up to go on this whole diatribe about how you guys aren't talking about Jesus 
and then not even give you one sliver of an idea how to do so, <laughs> a place to start, a scriptural context to look at to say, hey, here's a good thing to at least build off of, to think about, to chew on, and maybe I can incorporate some of this. So we don't have time to read it and break it apart piece by piece, but I do want to give you some highlights. I love Paul and how he does this because every single time he shows how complex and how he's a blend of everything that we are and experience. Here's Paul, a man handpicked for the mission of sharing the gospel, and because of how multi-layered he is, he proves that each and every one of us, no matter who we are and what our background is and what we've experienced, are also fit and equipped for sharing the gospel as well. So look at Acts chapter 26, and maybe make a note and say, I want to go through this. I'm going to give you a couple keys to look for in a couple sections of verses so that I don't go over on time here tonight. This text, with a specific focus... I want us to pull out ways in which it can help us go beyond inviting someone to church and actually tell the story ourselves, okay? So in Acts 26, we find Paul giving his last defense before he's sent to Rome. It's the last thing we get to see Paul articulate, or the last time we get to see him articulate his testimony outside of his letters. He's doing it before King Agrippa. Grand audience. Very, very famous passage. And this last defense is evidence that Paul's story and the way he told the story of Jesus never actually changed from the beginning. And I think sometimes we think when I'm further along, when I'm better, when I stop sinning this particular way, then I can talk to people because I'll be comfortable and it'll be clean and it'll be pretty and it'll be what everyone expects a Christian to actually be like. That's not how Paul told the story. That's not how he walked in the mission. That's not how he shared the gospel. There's nothing about Paul's account that cannot also be true about our account. In verses 2 through 8, I would say to any of you who grew up in the church and believe that somehow because of that you don't have a testimony or a story that you can share or that you have a less legitimate claim to be talking about the gospel with people or your relationship with God with people, Paul is always sure to include his own religious upbringing. Paul, Paul got all his knowledge at the Gog, guys. He was at the synagogue all the time from the time he was little. So don't ever let someone tell you, hey, because you grew up, you don't have a testimony, you don't have ugliness to share with somebody, you can't move anybody in a powerful way, you can't share this gospel thing with someone because you've been doing this from the time that you can remember. You just kind of exist here. Your story matters even if you grew up here. In verses 9 through 11, for any of us who have done things that we're ashamed to mention, or for the non-believer who thinks their deeds are too terrible for God's grace, Paul raises you murder and entrapment. For the one who grew up in church and made mistakes and feels like they have no right now to speak Jesus' name, Paul raises you violence and murder and deception in the name of God. You're never beyond the reach of God. Your story still matters. In verses 12 through 18, many of us have had that collision point with Jesus and the reality of how broken we actually are, whether we are churched or unchurched. If you've had that moment where you know there's got to be more than this to life, if you've had the moment where you've tried to be good, but you made so many mistakes and you thought you couldn't take it back, if you've had that moment where you got kind of crystal clear clarity that you can't keep living life like this, if you try to figure out why you're even alive and what all this is for, if you've tried to understand, then Paul says, I'm there with you on the road to Damascus and your story matters today. Day two. And verses 19 through 23, as he finishes, remember, if you've suffered ridicule for what you believe, maybe Peggy didn't respond well to your invitation to church. If you've ever been criticized or passed over for promotions or found yourself on the outside looking in, if you've been mocked for going there with those people, if you felt persecuted for trying to do the right thing, that's Paul's testimony. Your story definitely still matters. 
And in verse 25, have you ever been able to see into someone's life and you just wish they could see what you see? If <laughs> you tasted the Lord and you know that he is good. <laughs> and you just, you see brokenness, you see anxiety, you see stress, you see desperately grasping and clinging, looking for some sort of solid ground to stand on. You just wish they could know. If you've desperately wanted someone to enjoy the same peace and joy and love that you have in Christ, if you've wished not just for them to come to church, but for them to truly meet Jesus and have that peace that you have, then that's exactly what Paul feels. And he tells it before the council there in King Agrippa. His story is the same as your story. And your story is integral, just as integral as Paul's, to God's mission here on this planet. You can't read Acts chapter 26 and come away thinking, I could never be like Paul. I could never tell the story of the gospel like Paul. I don't have anything good to say to anybody. I don't have anything valuable to say to anybody. There's something crazy about all of these accounts. He doesn't share Jesus with swelling words or produce the gospel from his perfect record. His contemporaries didn't even think he was a good speaker. He has to defend himself. Paul proves to us that this mission that we're trying to be renewed in, that we're trying to share in the story of Jesus, isn't about our excellence. It's not about how good and qualified and perfect and polished you are. Paul's testimony is the story of an incredibly broken man whose background is actually a lot like many of ours here today and many who will be here on Sunday as well. His broken ways colliding with the story of Jesus Christ and the story of how everything ever since that moment has been incredibly different. And that is a story that aligns with each and every one of ours, whether we've taken the time to stop and break it down and realize it or not. Paul's testimony is an invitation to Jesus and the world-shaking hope that he now has, one that he wishes that everyone will share with him. So, I will finish tonight by just asking a question. As we talk about renewing our strength, are you able to share the story of Jesus with strength? As we talk about renewing our mission, when is the last time you shared the story of Jesus? When's the last time you walked in that mission? Your story is just the story of your life and a collision with Jesus and how everything has been different since. Have you ever gone there? It takes getting real. It takes getting uncomfortable. It's not as clean or as easy as inviting someone to church. I know it. I know it. But Paul blows me away because every time he tells that story, he starts with the same thing. I persecuted Christians. I killed people. I saw them thrown into jail. I saw families torn apart and destroyed. That never goes away out of his testimony. Isn't that bizarre? Because you couldn't come away from reading Paul or hearing Paul and say that I could never be good like him and I can't live up to what Paul lived up to. Isn't that what's so intimidating about most people trying to come to church? They think they have to be a perfect person who never messes up and that they wouldn't fit in amongst these people. Isn't the way that Paul shares the gospel and walks in that mission totally defeating to the perception that we struggle against today in getting the message of the gospel to people? It's the exact antithesis. So maybe think about it this way. Who would you be if it was not for the presence of Christ in your life? Where would you be? And actually, to be honest, where and who are you right now if it isn't for the Spirit of God working in you at this moment? And now ask yourself, when's the last time have you shared that with somebody? When's the last time you met someone in their mess by not shying away from your own? 
We, collectively and individually, can never reach someone who's still in their mess by pretending that we never were, or pretending that without Jesus that we still are. Where's our confidence, in him or in us? What story do we have to share with someone that will help us renew the mission? Probably the one we're afraid to tell. Probably the one we think will get us shut out. Church, God came to earth to love and serve and redeem us because that is a story worth telling no matter the decade or the social climate. We can't stop short with impersonal invitations because he has inexplicably invited us to be a part of that story. He's invited us to share it. What an honor. It's a we get to, not a we have to. It's not something you do to be a good Christian. It's a natural overflow of being a disciple of Jesus. He's invited us to by joining his, and we will renew our mission when we make Jesus' last words our true first priority. I hope this has encouraged you guys.